The following message was recorded at Shades Valley Community Church in Homewood, Alabama. For more information and resources from Shades Valley, please visit us at shadesvalley.org. All righty, everybody. Our uh, scripture reading for today is Psalm 71. In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me and rescue me. Incline your ear to me and save me. Be to me a rock of refuge to which I may continually come. You have given the command to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. Rescue me, O my God, from the hand of the wicked, from the grasp of the unjust and cruel man. For you, O Lord, are my hope, my trust, O Lord, from my youth. Upon you I have learned from before my birth. You are he who took me from my mother's womb. My praise is continually of you. I have been as a portent to many, but you are my strong refuge. My mouth is filled with your praise and not with your glory and with your glory all the day. Do not cast me off in the time of old age. Forsake me not when my strength is spent. For my enemies speak concerning me. Those who watch for my life consult together and, and say, God has forsaken him. Pursue and seize him, for there is, no one to de- there is none to deliver him. O God, be not far from me. O my God, make haste to help me. May my accusers be put to shame and consumed with scorn and disgrace. May they be covered who may they be covered who seek my hurt. But I will hope continually and I and will praise you yet more and more. My mouth will tell of your righteous acts, of your deeds of salvation all the day, for their number is past my knowledge. With the mighty deeds of the Lord God I will come, I will come. I will remind them of your righteousness, yours alone. O God, from my youth you have taught me, and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. So even to old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, your powers to all those to come. Your righteousness, O God, reaches the high heavens. You have done great things, O God, who is like you. You who have made me see many troubles and calamities will revive me again. From the depths of the earth you will bring me up again. You will increase my greatness and comfort me again. I will also praise you with the harp for your faithfulness, O my God. I will sing praises to you with the lyre, O Holy One of Israel. My lips will shout for joy when I sing praises to you, my soul also, which you have redeemed. And my tongue will talk of your righteousness, righteous help all the day long, for they have been put to shame and disappointed who sought to do me hurt. This is the word of the Lord. So I invite you to open your Bibles to Psalm 71, if you haven't already. Uh, Holly and I got married stupid young. Uh, I was 20 and she was 19, which means that when we got engaged, I was 19 and she was 18. People had opinions about that. They shared them. I didn't ask, uh, but they shared. And, And a pattern quickly emerged, specifically among older couples who'd been married for a very long time. They all made jokes, but these jokes fell into two distinct categories. Uh, There was the ball and chain category, and there was the hard work category. And let me explain the difference, okay? So so there was the ball and chain. These were like snide comments that you could just tell were dripping with bitterness, probably telling you a little bit about the state of their own marriage. And they used these jokes. People would use humor as as a guise to, to air their regrets about how they wish they'd stayed single longer than... You know, because that was more fun than being married. 
That was one category, but then there were the hard work jokes. Now, these were lighthearted, good fun ways of trying to prepare me for the, the real weight of what I was walking into. These, these jokes would be about how marriage is hard work, but they would always be told with a, a smile and a word of confirmation that the work was worth it. See, for these people, like through the gift of humor, they were not trying to scare me, but to prepare me to persevere even amidst the realities of marriage so that I might one day come to know the beauties of marriage. And here's the deal. Like, what I didn't know or what I didn't realize at the time was that through these two types of older couples, I was encountering the difference between those who worked hard at their marriage and those who either both or one quit working. I was encountering the difference between those who cultivate their covenant versus those who put things in cruise control. The the difference between those who fight for their marriage and those who phone it in. And the contrast was stark. One spoke of marriage with bitterness. The other spoke of it as a a blessing. Here's the deal, Shades. Over time, this kind of thing doesn't just happen in the relationship that you have with a spouse. It happens in our relationship that we have with Jesus as well. And that makes sense. Because marriage itself is just a small picture that was created to mirror the church's relationship, your relationship with Christ. And just like in marriage, over time, how people can start like phoning it in with marriage, many people grow bitter and do the same thing with their faith. They phone it in with their faith. We're called to do the exact opposite. Paul in 1 Timothy 6 and verse 12 calls us not to phone it in with our faith, but to fight for it. He calls us to fight the good fight of faith. And that's a fight that lasts our entire life. Paul's fighting it until the day he gets his head cut off and then he can say, I have finished my fight. Just like marriage should never be put in cruise control, neither should our covenant with Christ. And this is what we see so clearly in Psalm 71. In Psalm 71, we see the psalmist, don't know who it is, but we see the psalmist fighting the fight of faith even to old age. And the temptation might be to just phone it in. That's what this psalm is about, fighting the fight of faith, even to old age. That's right, this is a psalm for old people. So this is a sermon for old people. Because, hear me, older saints, I love how we're all dividing up the room into our own categories of what that means right now. Even even everybody sitting out here, you are coming up with different definitions of which of these categories I belong in. It all depends on your own age. I used to look much younger when I first came to Shades. All this gray. This, this, people joke about how this is my five kids. This is not five kids. This is ten years at Shades Valley Community Church. <laughs> I love every last one of those gray hairs. But, hear me, older saints. This is a word for you because I don't ever want to pastor you towards phoning it in with your faith. I want to pastor you to fight the fight of faith even to old age. And Psalm 71 shows you how. Now, as soon as I say that, 
The 99% of you who have decided you are not in the category of older saints have decided, I get to tune this one out. Maybe, you know, sleep a little here during the sermon, catch a power nap like an old person. Don't do that, okay? Don't, don't do that. This sermon is for you as well. This psalm and this sermon is for everyone in this room, regardless of your age, even those of you who are younger. I know that for at least three reasons. Number one, you know older saints. Like you have them in your life. They're your brothers and sisters in Christ. And there will be times when you need to speak into their life. There are truths here for you to encourage them with and spur them on with. You never, never, never listen to a sermon merely for what you might need. But also that you may be equipped for what others might need. There's truth here in Psalm 71 that someone elderly in your life may need to hear. Will you be equipped to share it with them? You know, older saints. Number two, it's also for you. You need older saints. Those of you who are younger, and I will put myself in this category now at this point, you, me, I, we need older saints through this psalm. We're going to see the role that older saints should play in the lives of younger saints. A role that younger saints are so incredibly guilty of neglecting. Because we have bought into our culture's idolization of youth. Younger is always better. Old is always irrelevant. As a matter of fact, even older generations have bought into our culture's idolization of youth. I can prove it to you. Nobody likes to be called old. It's a negative word for us instead of a word of honor with weight. And I said older people earlier, some of you got offended. Don't. We need you. We need you, younger saints of shades. We need older saints. And Psalm 71 will tell you why and help you to see the relationship that you should share with them. You need older saints. Third and final reason this is also for you, you will be one of these older saints one day. Prayerfully, Lord willing. And you don't need to wait until then to hear and to heed Psalm 71. No one accidentally ends up being a saint who speaks of the fight of faith as a blessing instead of with bitterness. You don't just accidentally arrive there. Which kind of older saint do you want to be? One who is filled with bitterness over the bad hand that you felt that God has dealt you? Or one who looks at your life no matter what you have been through, no matter the highs, no matter the lows, and speaks and testifies to the overwhelming blessing of God? We all need Psalm 71 because we all need to see how to fight the fight of faith even to old age. So, See it with me. Psalm 71, verses 1 through 3. In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me and rescue me. Incline your ear to me and save me. Be to me a rock of refuge to which I may continually come. You've given the command to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. So immediately we are thrust into the fight of faith with this older saint right here. 
I know we're not going to be explicitly told that he's older until we get to verse 5 and the rest of the thing, but even right here, the verb tenses indicate to us that he's older. Old, Old Testament scholar Alan Ross says that these verbs right here in Hebrew emphasize the fact that the psalmist has put his faith in God and still trusts in God after all of these years. And to be 100% honest, we're not quite sure what he's trusting in God for right here. It seems like he's in some type of trouble. He needs to be rescued. This is a psalm of lament. Lament is is when you cry out to God about your present situation because it doesn't quite fit with what you know to be true of God. God, I know you're my rock. I know you're my refuge. So why why are you not rescuing me right now? Why aren't you being my refuge? He's crying out to be rescued in this psalm of lament. The specific situation is unclear. But what is clear is that whatever the situation is, he's trusting the Lord. That's what lament does. Lament as much as it grieves comes to God in a posture of faith. I still trust you. I don't understand. I don't get it. Here's me, broken, open, honest, vulnerable. I don't get it. But I trust you. He's trusting the Lord, and we know why. It's because this psalmist throughout his life has been shaped by this word, whatever he had of it. And we know he at least had Psalm 31. Because, I challenge you later today, go read the opening verses of Psalm 31. And do you know what you will find? They sound exactly like the opening verses of Psalm 71. In other words, we, we, we've talked about the fact all these psalms weren't written at the same time. There were different collections at different points. And so whoever the psalmist is right here, Clearly, throughout his life, he had access to certain psalms, including Psalm 31. It was a psalm he probably grew up singing. And now he takes those words he's known and meditated on his entire life, and they shape his prayer right here. The Word shapes his words, and they shape it. The shape that they take is a shape of trust. Because this Word has continually taught him of the righteousness of of God. That's his logic. I'm going to trust you because of your righteousness. How does that work? Look at it. You can see the logic in verse 2. In your righteousness, deliver me and rescue me. In other words, because of your righteousness, I've heard about this through your word all my life. Psalm 31 testifies to it. Because of your righteousness, I'm trusting you. Deliver me, rescue me, incline your ear to me, and save me. How does that work? God's righteousness, or his rightness, to put it an easy way, His rightness stands opposed to all that is wrong. And in his righteousness, God has promised over and again throughout the whole of Scripture, in his righteousness, he has promised to end all wrong, to make all things right. The psalmist cries out for God to do that in this situation. In your righteousness and who you are, you stand opposed to wrong. You're going to right all wrongs. There's something wrong in my life right now. In your righteousness, hear me, heed, save. Psalmist cries out for God to exercise his righteousness in his situation. Verse 3, be to me a rock of refuge to which I may continually come. In other words, be who you've revealed yourself to be. I've sung about it since I was little that you're my rock and my refuge. So be that. Do what you've promised to do. Your word has shaped my trust in you. Right here shades, even to old age, this psalmist is fighting the fight of faith. He's not quitting right here. 
He's not retiring. There's no such thing as retirement in the life of faith. He's not quitting. He's not retiring. He's not putting it in cruise. He's not phoning it in. He's fighting. Because even in old age, the attacks on your faith keep coming, if not increasingly so. For as your very body betrays you and weakens and decays, do you not become even more susceptible? This is not possible to even become more susceptible to doubt the goodness of God. Even to old age, the psalmist is fighting the fight of faith. And through the rest of this psalm, we see five ways that he fights. We need to see this. For Lord willing, we all reach this age, this stage in which we become very susceptible to the attacks of the enemy. We're susceptible our whole lives, but he can come at us in an entirely new way even as we approach the grave. We need to see the five ways right here that the psalmist fights the fight of faith. Number one, even to old age, fight the fight of faith in the present through the past. Number one, even to old age, fight the fight of faith in the present through the past. Look at verse four. Verse four, the psalmist's present situation gets a little more specific. Rescue me, O my God, from the hand of the wicked. Wicked right there is just a collective term for everyone who doesn't follow God. It's not the psalmist saying he's better than other people. Plenty of other psalms let us know that the psalmists are painfully aware of their own depravity in their hearts. Rescue me, O God, from the hand of the wicked. From the grasp, literally from the palm, grasped me in their palm, from the palm of the unjust and cruel man. Hand uh, is a metaphorical way of speaking about power. And the palm conveys the idea that this power has grasped you. It's why the translators translate it grasp. It can translate, it, it, it conveys the idea that, that this power has taken a, a hold of you. The psalmist, in other words, is praying right here that the power of the wicked will not take hold of him, physically and spiritually. This, this prayer right here, it isn't merely for physical protection. It is that, but even more so, the psalmist seems concerned that the power of the wicked will crush his faith. Why, why is he concerned about that? It seems, as you read throughout the psalm, to be his primary concern that the power of the wicked that he sees will crush his faith. And the reason is that he is trusting in God, just like he has all throughout his life, and yet the wicked are the ones who seem so powerful. Is he a fool for trusting in the Lord? Will he ultimately be put to shame? The wicked make it look like that's the case. They're the ones that really hold the power. Will that shatter his faith? Will it shatter yours? Perhaps you've trusted in the Lord throughout your life, but who seems to really hold the power in this world? The God to whom you pray and sing? Is he the one who seems powerful the Lord often looks weak set next to the wicked does he not who 
whose hand of influence seems powerful to you? God or the unjust and the cruel? And, and, and do you feel that power trying to take hold of you, grasp you in its palm, tempting you to believe that your only hope lies with the powers of this world? Shades, shades, please hear my heart right here. How many saints, including older saints, how many saints are we seeing sell out their lifelong faith to the unjust and the cruel of this world so they can hopefully hold on to a little bit of power? Age, age has a way of making you feel powerless. Your body literally losing power can't do what it once did. 2 Corinthians 4.16 talks about this as wasting away day after day. Make you feel powerless. As you get older, the world seems to change all the, more, all the faster around you, does it not? Your own generation seems to fade in influence younger voices seem to grow louder you don't even recognize the world in which you walk and the temptation grows to fear that the god you've trusted your whole life isn't really in control so to help him out you compromise and you throw in your lot with the cruel and the unjust shades that is evidence that your faith has been crushed That you're not trusting and believing that God actually is the one who's in control. This is the situation of the psalmist. He feels the power of the wicked pressing down on his faith. So to keep it from being crushed, he fights for it. And he fights the fight of faith in the present with the past. He fights the fight of faith in the present through the past. See that, verse 5. For you, O Lord, are my hope, my trust. O Lord, from my youth. Upon you I have looked from before my birth. You who took me from my mother's womb, took me, literally, you who were my pusher and severer. You pushed me out and cut the cord. You who pushed me from my mother's womb. My praise is continually of you. The psalmist looks back. He's in this situation in the present, sort of fight for faith. He looks back, way back. And he reminds himself of God's power and provision from the moment of his birth. He reminds himself first of God's power. I've leaned on you. In other words, you've been my support. Your power alone brought me into being before my birth. Your power alone has upheld me, sustained me. He looks back at God's power. He looks back at God's provision. You took me, pushed me, severed me from my mother's womb. In other words, the idea is of the one who actually, your, your mother has been your life support throughout, your entire, throughout her entire pregnancy and now you are being taken from your sustenance. The cord is being cut and now somebody else has got to sustain you. The psalmist says, God, you did that. You sustained me. My provider, my sustainer. And he says, God, you didn't just do this for me at birth. You've done this for me all throughout my life. Look at verse 7. I've been as a portent to many. That's a sign or an example. All throughout my life. Not just in my birth, but all throughout my life. I've been as an example to many because you are my strong refuge. My mouth is filled with your praise and with your glory all the day. The psalmist has been an example because the Lord has been his refuge throughout his entire life, through all the difficulties that he's faced. 
Do you see what the psalmist is doing right here? He's reminding himself of God's faithfulness in the past, and that is feeding his faith in the present. Brad prayed that way earlier when he prayed for the offering. We've seen your provision in the past, so we trust that you'll provide for us now. God's past faithfulness encourages my faith in his present faithfulness. Even if I can't see it, this is how, even the old age, the psalmist fights the fight of faith. And dear older saint out there, this is how you fight. In the present, right now, when this world looks so powerful, and you feel it trying to crush your faith in its grasp. Your faith is derided as a relic of the past. Fight the fight of faith in the present, not by grasping for what seems powerful in this world, but by turning to the one you've trusted. Look back on your past and look back at his faithfulness. Let his faithfulness in the past empower your faith in the present. Let it, let it do what verse 8 talks about. Let it fill your mouth with praise of his glory all the day so that your life will be a portent, an example to the rest of us who are young and dumb, like myself, and need to see you walk in wisdom. Even to old age, fight the fight of faith in the present through the past. Number two, even though, yes, I said five, they get faster, I promise. Even to old age, fight the fight of faith through prayer. Number two, even through old age, fight the fight of faith through prayer. It should be obvious that that's what the psalmist is doing. After all, this entire thing is a prayer, a whole psalm. If he's fighting the fight of faith, he's doing it through prayer prayer. Specifically right here, he's doing it through a lament. If you remember from several weeks ago, Brad preached about lament, about coming before the Lord in in brokenness and and openness and honesty, vulnerability. And if you remember, Brad lamented that all too often we do not lament well. Perhaps we could use some examples. Some older saints who can show us the way, like the psalmist is doing right here in verses 9 to 13. Look at his lament. Look at his openness, his honesty, his vulnerability in prayer. He's open and honest about his anxieties and fears. Look at verse 9. Do not cast me off in the time of old age. Forsake me not when my strength is spent. You have anxieties about growing older, strength being spent, body weakening, Mind dulling, sight going, senses reeling. The psalmist is praying about when he feels like he's going to be most vulnerable. I've got nothing left to defend myself. It's when the enemy loves to attack, is when we are at our most vulnerable. And the psalmist is praying, don't let my faith fail. He's being open and honest about his anxieties and fears. He's open and honest about his obstacles and opposition. Look at verse 10. For my enemies speak concerning me. Those who watch for my life consult together and say, God has forsaken him. Pursue him and seize him, for there is none to deliver him. He's weak now. And they go after him physically and spiritually, insulting his faith, plotting against his life. 
He brings all this before the Lord. He's trying to pretend like he's got it all together. Here's all the obstacles, all the oppositions. He's open and honest about his needs and his wants. Look at verse 12. Oh God, be not far from me. My God, make haste to help me. May my accusers be put to shame. That's what they want to do to him. Turn around on their head. That's what he said all the way back in verse 1. They want to put him to shame. May my accusers be put to shame and consumed with scorn and disgrace. May they be covered who seek my hurt. In other words, don't let them win. Don't let me be put to shame by my faith failing. Sustain my faith so that they'll be put to shame. So they'll see that you win. In my most vulnerable moment, when they and the enemy choose to attack, let that be the moment in which your power shines forth. This is precisely what our God loves to do. When we are weakest and most vulnerable, that is when the enemy loves to attack. And when we are weakest and most vulnerable, that is when God loves to show that it is power that is at work in us. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. 2 Corinthians 4.16 says, Yes, though the outer man is wasting away, the inner man is being renewed day by day. This is what God is doing in and through us. He prays that his faith won't fail. He's honest and open with his wants and his needs. The psalmist right here is being a portent. He's being an example to us, of how to fight the fight of faith through prayer. And notice, notice that example does not look like him being a towering pillar of unshakable faith. No. Like to all of my older saints, if you think that in order to be an example to me or anyone else, you must be this tower of unshakable faith, the psalmist rejects what you think right here. It doesn't look... Him being an example looks like him being real and honest about all of his weakness. Older saints, I do not want you to hear me this morning saying that you need to show uh, the rest of us the way to follow Jesus by being fake and pretending like you've got it all together and because you've been alive longer, you've got all of life and faith figured out. No, I'm saying to you quite the opposite. Show the rest of us the way to not be fake. It's how we come forth from the womb, faking it to everybody else. Show us how to not do that. Show us how to drop the facade that all of us create, that we have life figured out. That's one of our biggest and greatest idols in a younger generation. We practice it every day on social media. Got it all figured out and everybody needs to know. Show us how to drop that facade and run in faith to the Father. Teach us to quit praying for show and to start praying for survival. Show us what that looks like. Like the psalmist right here. Teach us to pray openly, honestly, vulnerably about all our anxieties and fears, obstacles and opposition, wants and needs. In other words, even to old age, perhaps especially in it, Show us how to fight the fight of faith through prayer. Number three, even to old age, fight the fight of faith through praise. Even to old age, fight the fight of faith through praise. Verse 14, but, that, that, that little word is carrying a lot of freight right there. 
What the psalmist is doing with that turn, with that word right there, is he's saying, this is what I want, this is what I need, these are all my anxieties, this is everything I'm praying for you to answer. But, if none of that comes when I want it, when I think I need it, or how I, should, or how I think it should come. But I will continually, but I will hope continually, and will praise you yet more and more. Even if nothing I pray for happens the way I think it should or when I think it should, I will always hope. I will always praise you. In fact, I'll do it even more and more. Verse 15, my mouth will tell of your righteous acts, your deeds of salvation all the day, for their number is past my knowledge. In other words, the number of God's deeds of salvation is so great that even if he never does another one in my life, I'll never catch up praising him for what he's already done. You see that? And so the psalmist is saying, like, I'll never catch up. Praising you for what you've already done. So no matter what my current situation looks like, I'll praise you more and more. Verse 16, with the mighty deeds of the Lord God, I will come. That's I will come into corporate worship. I will come with the mighty deeds of the Lord God and I will remind them, everybody else there, I'll remind them of your righteousness, yours alone. The psalmist says, no matter my current situation and what it tempts me to believe, I'm going to combat those lies of the enemy with the truth of what God has done. I'll come with the mighty deeds of the Lord. I'm going to combat the lies with the truth of what God has done. Christian, what is the truth of what God has done for you already in this life? He has conquered everything. He's conquered it through the cross. This is the truth and the reality of what God has done. Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, took on sin and death, wrestled them down into a tomb where he defeated and left them three days later when he walked out victorious. And Jesus' resurrection is just the beginning of a great reversal. It's the beginning of a new creation that he will return to bring to completion. All sin, all sickness, the devil and all death, gone. All wrongs righted by the righteousness of God. So no matter what the present looks like, with the mighty deeds of the Lord God, I will come. I will remind them of your righteousness, yours alone. I'll, no matter what's going on, I will remind people of the cross and the empty tomb. That your righteousness stands opposed to everything wrong and the cross and the empty tomb stand as a promise that your righteousness will right all wrongs. Dear older saints, will you remind us of the righteousness of the Lord? That he will make all wrongs right. He will heal all hurts. He will make all things new. Older saints, will you remind us constantly and consistently of the empty tomb? Will you let us see that you fight the fight of faith through praise? In other words, will you let your praise become proclamation? That's number four. Even to old age, fight the fight of faith through proclamation. Verse 17. Oh God, from my youth you have taught me, and I still, in the midst of what he's facing, I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. 
So even to old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, to those younger than me, your power to all those who are to come. That means to come after me. Your righteousness, O God, reaches the heavens. You who have done great things, O God, who is like you. In other words, the psalmist is not satisfied to just praise the Lord for all he has done. He wants to proclaim it. His praise turns into proclamation because he wants the coming generations to know that the righteousness of God reaches to the high heavens. In other words, the righteousness of God encompasses all of reality. He wants the coming generations to know that no matter what things look like in any square inch corner of your life, in any corner of our world, in any, at any point in our reality, he wants us to know God's righteousness encompasses everything, everywhere to the highest heaven. He will make things right. He will make all wrongs right. He will heal all hurts. He will make all things new. Aging psalmist wants to testify to this truth. And he can uniquely testify to the truth because he has experienced it all throughout his life. Look at verse 20. You, God, who have made me see many troubles and calamities, will revive me again. From the depths of the earth, you will bring me up again. You will increase my greatness and comfort me again done it before i've seen it over and over again all through my life you'll do it again the psalmist says he's experienced many troubles and calamities indeed we know that right now as he writes this psalm he's facing another one and the psalmist knows god is sovereign over all of these things that he has suffered do you see that you who have made me see many troubles and calamities You who are sovereign over all the suffering that I've experienced. And yet, that truth for the psalmist, it doesn't kill his faith and make him bitter like it does for many. No, it's a blessing that gives him confidence. It's precisely because God is sovereign over his suffering that the psalmist believes God can promise to bring that suffering to a conclusion. If God is not sovereign over suffering, he can promise you nothing. But if he's sovereign over suffering, though that may increase our questions, it gives us a hope and a rock to stand on. It gives this psalmist confidence. You, who have made me see many troubles and calamities, will, because you're sovereign over them, you will revive me again. My troubles and calamities won't win because your sovereign righteousness encompasses all of them to the highest heavens. You will make all wrongs right, heal all hurts, make all things new. You will bring redemption to completion. Reverse the effects of, of sin, including the reversing of death itself. Is that not what the psalmist says in the rest of verse 20? You who have made me see many troubles and calamities will revive me again from the depths of the earth. You will bring me up again. If that's not resurrection, I don't know what is. The psalmist is saying more than he knows. He doesn't know how God will conquer all the wrongs and make them right. He doesn't know 
God will bring about the completion of redemption, including the reversal of death itself. He just knows that he will. And we know that he has through Christ. This is what the psalmist wants to proclaim to the coming generation, that our God is a God of redemption who has sovereignly, righteously promised to redeem all things, make all wrongs right. Older saints, we need you to proclaim to the next generation, not complain about the next generation, proclaim to them. We need you to proclaim the righteousness of the Lord. We need you to tell them how through your own life you've seen God confirm the truth that He will make all wrongs right. We need to hear how you've seen that truth confirmed in your own life when when a young woman struggles with infertility or has a stillborn baby or suffers a miscarriage older saints who've walked through that wilderness will you walk with her? In time, will you show her the righteousness of God that he sees, he hears, and he will heal? Those of you in our body who have suffered through disease and stared down your own death, or walked alongside of a loved one who's dying, Will you speak into the lives of those who are suffering right now in our body? Or those who have a mom, a dad, a spouse, a brother, a sister who is suffering, body being ravaged by disease? Can you come alongside and testify to the truth that God will redeem all things, including our bodies? Can you testify to the hope we have that is not ultimately in this life, but the hope of the resurrection? Older men who've raised children, I'll tell you how I need you right now. I, amidst parenthood, can you teach me what it looks like to be a faithful father? To raise my children strong in the faith, in the midst of a world who hates it. Can you testify to me of the righteousness of God that they are ultimately in his hands and he's trustworthy? I can trust him with them. Older married couples, can you show our younger married couples how to fight for their marriage? One of the greatest gifts that God ever gave Holly and I was that when we got married, all of our friends moved away. And part of that's because they all went off to college. Remember, we were stupid young. And because I was a youth pastor, we ended up hanging out with the parents of my students. All of these couples that we thought we were ancient because they were like, you know, 
in their 40s. We did not know at the time the treasure that we were receiving through them. And I cannot describe what a gift it has been. Older singles, can you testify to those who are so lonely and longing for a spouse? Can you testify to them of the faithfulness of Jesus? Give me a really specific example. Can you testify to them like Margaret Clarkson? Beautiful, amazing saint who passed back in 2008, single her entire life. She wrote this to singles near her death. She said, at the close of Pilgrim's Progress, Pilgrim's Progress is an allegorical, famous Christian work. It's an allegory about the Christian life. And she says, at the close of Pilgrim's Progress, when Christian, the main character, is crossing the river to the celestial city, he's going through death to heaven. When he's crossing the river, his heart failed him for fear. He began to sink in the cold, dark waters. But his companion, hopeful, helped him to stand, calling out loudly, Be of good cheer, my brother. I feel the bottom. And it is good. Then Christian recovered his faith and passed safely through the waters to the celestial city. Margaret Clarkson comments on that passage like this. She says, If there are singles who find the waters of singleness dark and deep, who feel they are sinking. This is my message to you concerning singleness. Be of good cheer, my brother, my sister. I feel the bottom, and it is good. James, those are the words of a Psalm 71 saint who has fought the fight of faith even to old age. We need you. I need you to fight like this. We need you. Younger saints, we need older saints in our lives. It's great to have peers who can identify with you and all that you're going through. But you need, we need saints further down the road who can testify to us of the righteousness of God. I've seen the faith of so many younger saints fail. And I believe that one of the reasons, one of the big reasons that happens is because they don't have any older saints in their lives who can look at what they're going through and encourage them through it, walk with them through it. Saints who could teach them to fight the fight of faith even to old age. We need older saints. Younger saints of shades. Make some relationships. Don't wait on them to initiate with you. Go initiate with them. Walk up them to them today after the service. Say, hey, you're old. Let's go to lunch. I need old people in my life. There's going to be like 20 people that say that to me after the service. I can feel it right now. Older saints, we need you. We need your proclamation of who God is, what he has done, and what he will do. That's where Psalm 71 concludes, with the psalmist proclaiming what God will do. This is number five, final. Even to old age, fight the fight of faith in the present through the prophetic. Even to old age. So we started this journey saying fight the fight of faith in the present through the past. And now we look in the other direction. 
not just of what God has done faithfully in the past, but what he has promised prophetically to do in the future. Fight the fight of faith in the present through the prophetic. Look at verse 22. I will, I will, is what I'm going to do. I will also praise you with the harp for your faithfulness, O oh my God. I will sing praises to you with the lyre, O holy one of Israel. My lips will shout for joy when I sing praises to you, my soul also which you have redeemed. And my tongue will talk, or more literally, meditate on your righteous help all the day long. I'm going to meditate, soak in, think of what you have prophetically promised to do, make all things right. Meditate on your righteous help all the day long. For they have been put to shame and disappointed who sought to do me hurt. Psalm 71 ends reversing the way it began. In verse 1, we heard the psalmist praying that he would not be put to shame by his enemies, crushing his faith. And now he prophetically states that the very shame his enemies sought to heap on him will actually end up falling on them. It's not that that has happened. He prophetically states that it will happen. Is he saying, this is definitely going to happen right now in my life? He doesn't know that. He just knows that it definitely will happen, whether it is on this side of the grave or the other. He knows that his Savior is a Savior who redeems and he wins. The shame they seek to heap on him by crushing his faith is heaped back on them because his faith stands rock solid on the prophetic promises of his God who has promised to redeem all things. His prophetic declaration right here that these enemies will ultimately be shamed, it has an eternal perspective. It's him saying the day will come, whether now or whether later, the day will come when everyone who exalts themselves will be humbled and everyone who humbles themselves will be exalted. For God, my God, opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And so the psalmist fights the fight of faith in the present, not just by looking back on the past and all God has done, but by prophetically looking to the future and all that God will do. And so he fights, he prays, he praises, he proclaims to fight the fight of faith, even to old age, not growing bitter, but seeing how he has been blessed and thus becoming a blessing to those who come after him. Shades, let us do the same. Older saints, we need you to do the same. Younger saints, we need them to do the same. So let's do the same. Let's be a community who doesn't phone it in, but who fights the fight of faith all the way to our last day, even to old age.